I'm Cinder Niemela, and along with Charlotte Gilmano, welcome to the Inspired Wisdom Podcast. I believe the most powerful gifts you can give yourself is time to reflect on your talents and experience, and then have the wisdom to act with confidence and grace. This podcast is for entrepreneurs, leaders, and individuals who want to thrive in work and life. Your journey to being connected and inspired by the world around you starts right now. My guest today is Marilyn O'Hearn. Marilyn is a master certified coach, speaker, and author of Breaking Free from Bias. She has been coaching since 1998 and in 28 countries. Marilyn says it's impossible to not work interculturally. Marilyn has been fascinated with culture and committed to peace since the age of nine. Her fascination with culture and her commitment to peace led to her coaching leaders from the United Nations since 2013. Awareness of our biases is not enough. Marilyn will discuss with us her six-step impact process companies are using to break free from bias and boost their bottom line. You'll find links and show notes at inspiredwisdom.us. Marilyn, welcome to the call. Thank you. Let's start with how you got involved in coaching. I'm not sure I even know that story. Oh, okay. So I started hearing about coaching in 1998, first reading about it in a systems journal. And I thought, wow, that sounds interesting. And I like this idea because I was doing, you know, working in behavioral sciences of starting with people when they're already healthy rather than they're working on um, some trauma or they're depressed or they're anxious. That was really fun for me. And then I, I saw it in the newspaper, went to a local meeting, and it was like I fell in love. <laughs> was it the ICF or was it one of the schools? It was Barbara Walton who became oh, yes. an ICF president later. Yes. But I'm not even sure whether she was involved with the ICF or not at that point. Yeah, 98. So where, and where did you go to school? I went to the Institute for Life Coach Training, and then I have been trained in the UK and in Bali and, uh, you know, a number of places since then. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you live in those places, the UK and Bali? No, uh, I was in Bali for six weeks, which was fabulous. I helped with a coach training program there. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then did some speaking in Jakarta, uh, which is the next island over. Yeah. And uh, Australia, New Zealand, Korea, and met with clients in Tokyo on that trip. Uh, one trip. Wow. Yes, three that months. Was a... it, was, it was quite a trip. <laughs> it was. How long was the trip all total? Three months and half of that in Bali. Uh, nice. I love Bali. I've been there yes. a couple of times. It's yeah. beautiful. It is. Really it is. Yeah. Uh, just a couple episodes ago, I interviewed somebody from Indonesia. From oh, Jakarta. wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. it's a very interesting story. Sonardis. He's uh, okay. very interesting. He uh, went to school in the U.S. and then he returned to, Bal to uh, Indonesia. So mm -hmm. it's interesting how his perspective of his culture 
uh, after having spent, you know, most of his youth in the United States and then returning. That is. Yeah. Tell us something about bias that we probably don't know and we should know. Hmm. Well, I'm not sure where to start because I don't know how much you already know. I mean, people have varying understandings about bias. Assume we don't know. We're just totally ignorant about the level set on really what bias is. A dictionary term for bias would be just being in favor of or against something. So that sounds pretty innocent, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it can be. Like, you know, I'm in favor of the KU Jayhawks. You know, I have a bias towards that sports team. Mm. Where it, it can be problematic is when we have... Um, you know, negative biases about a certain group of people that can turn into to prejudice, uh, but we're not aware of them. So the unconscious part about bias, Cinder, is that we take in like 10,000 bits of information per moment, and we can only process our brains can only process 40 bits. So they just do this automatic information comes in and just automatically gets slotted and people get slotted into safe or dangerous categories. And so we've seen the effects of this in the media, like the, the police um, shooting because they have a, a profile or a bias about this group is, is dangerous and they like shoot first. You know, bias is, is pretty innocent to start with, but when it becomes a trigger like that, in, when you've got a gun in your hand, then it can be dangerous. Mm. So we put people into one of two categories, safe or dangerous. And I imagine those, that goes back to our early days. Yes, back in the primitive brain, you know, so yeah. it's the biases are in the primitive brain, not in the, the neocortex. The other interesting statistic oh. is that, how, guess how much time we spend in our unconscious, where those, all that filtering is, is going on, and we're not aware of it. Probably most of the time. Yes, 98 plus percent of the time. Wow. Yeah. So That's almost all the time. It is. It is. And so I, one of the things I love about coaching is we're calling things into awareness and, and also coaching supervision. It's a time to, to reflect, to ask questions, to shift perspective so that we can become more aware of our biases and how we see things. And then we can manage them. We can update them. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems with with bias training so far has been it's it's simply been teaching that step one. So I have a six-step process, which is identifying the fact that we all have biases. And people then are aware, okay, we all have biases. Because lots of times, you know, we think, Oh, yeah, somebody else, not me, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so that's good to know. But then some people see that as, as an excuse just to, to tick off the box that, okay, I know we all have it, so now I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about it again. It's, I've done the, the awareness training. I know I have it. 
Mm -hmm. And really that's not enough. And the bias could be anything. It's not just race or... Absolutely, or, or region of the world. You're so right. We have all these cultural identities. You and I are both women, so we're seen a certain way because we are women. I'm a baby boomer, so people see me a certain way because I'm a baby boomer. So Mm -hmm. it's gender, it's generation, socioeconomic level, educational level, attire, how how attractive someone is. I mean, they've Mm -hmm. done lots of research on that. And it's, it's mm. kind of interesting that in the U.S., um, there's a great percentage of Fortune 500 CEOs who are six feet and above. And that's been true of our, our presidents also in the U.S. Mm. So there's a, yeah. there's a bias towards height, <laughs> a certain height. Mm. <laughs> like that means they're a leader. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> There's some privilege with height. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it's it's very interesting. Well, how did you get interested in this topic? Oh, yeah, thanks for asking. It really started about age 9 where I noticed wow. that people I I knew there were things about my gender. You know, there already were, were comments made like girls should be afraid of snakes and not climb trees or th- things like that, which I thought were ridiculous. But around age nine, I started noticing other things that uh, certain groups of people were not being treated the same. Um, and that it included based on their, their religion, what region of the world they were from. I had a friend whose mom was from Japan uh, we went to school with, um, you know, Jewish, Catholic, Christian, and there were some different viewpoints and treatments about that and who could belong to what club based on their religion. And uh, we even had a multiracial wedding and in our home because across the state line, Kansas City's in Kansas and Missouri, it was still illegal in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So that really, really struck me. And my parents took us to dinner at a colleague's home. And when we drove across town, it was a a neighborhood I wasn't familiar with. There was a big barbed wire fence and this barking German shepherd dog that looked really mean. And so I've always been curious, you know, the curious coach. And when they welcomed us, I asked why they had that barbed wire fence and the mean barking German shepherd dog. And they said, well, because we're kind of scared to live in our neighborhood. And I said, well, then why are you living in this neighborhood? Why, you know, why aren't you living in our neighborhood? Because of the color of our skin. We're not allowed, you know, to live in your neighborhood. And laws have changed, but not always the, the bias, the underlying beliefs behind yeah the loss. You were a young child and did you hold on to this curiosity about how people form bias? Yes, I think uh, holding on to that curiosity and and just wanting to learn more about different cultures too. Interesting. And then you wrote the book just this past year. Yes. Yes. It took you a long, it took you a while 
to form your opinions or to do the research and write the book. But once you decide, I remember when you decided to write, <laughs> you said, I'm going to write this book this year. And you yeah. set out a plan and mm -hmm. stuck to it. Yeah. What was the catalyst that said, this is the year? You know, just the way things were heating up with the, the U.S. in terms of the police situation, and not just in the U.S., around the world. You know, we heard about the bombings in France and just the, the backlash against the refugees um, in Europe. And so it just really seemed to be coming to a head. And I felt called to do something about it. And again, knowing that research that just the awareness was not enough. And there had been books already written heavy on research and, and promoting awareness that I felt like there was time for, what are the next steps? What do we do about it? What's the application? And so I, I know coaches are using this within organizations, some of the exercises I have in the book as they work with, with leadership teams and with HR and, and OD and training departments. Now, are they using the exercises to heighten awareness and then to make decisions about the biases that they have? Yeah, I start the book with a scorecard, you know, for, for organizations in particular to take a look at where are we now and then to repeat that at the end. And then the first step is identifying. There's multiple ways of identifying bias. And then the next step is how are we going to manage it within our organization? And then the, the P is for tapping into potential, tapping into and unleashing the potential. And that means of everybody, you know, not just the, the white men who are over six feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> Give us some examples of successes that companies or people have realized mm -hmm. based on the work that you're doing with them. Thanks. Thanks for asking that. I think one of the things is just even in meetings, understanding um, why someone is speaking up or not speaking up. You know, because you work with teams, teams are your specialty center, that this is a dynamic that can happen. As I've been called in to, to coach leaders and organizations, I'm thinking of a, a woman that I'd worked with, and I always ask about culture. Tell me something about your culture. This was someone who was about my age and, and raised near me, but in a rural environment, which is a different culture, in a different family. You know, my mom was an MD, and she told all of us, the boys and the girls, that we could be whoever we wanted, do whatever we wanted. In the environment that she grew up in, women were very much in the background and not speaking up and not leading. And here she was in an organization. She'd been identified as a high potential and starting to move up, but was being told, you need to speak up more. You need to learn to step into your power and lead a meeting, you know. So part of that for her was overcoming this, this bias and this mindset that she had growing up. So it can be not only what people, how people are viewing you, 
but what you picked up on and internalized growing up, that was a breakthrough for her. The organization was was already aware of her potential, wanting to, to further develop, and it was more her learning to do that and how to handle some challenging situations with mm-hmm. people who were like challenging her authority, you know, in the workplace. But then, you know, on, on the other hand, I've had situations where it was um, someone from Asia or an Hispanic woman in the U.S. who wasn't speaking up and the organization, you know, some of the the senior team was thinking, oh, we've wasted our money. We're not getting what we want out of this person. We're not hearing their viewpoint. And what they really didn't understand was the cultural behind that is that I shouldn't speak until someone asks me a question, until all the senior people have spoken, Native Americans too, the elders speak first. So helping both sides to understand, and then there's some choice points. So either that employee, like my first leader that I was talking about, she decided to make a change in how she was raised and she saw herself and women in organizations. These women had that choice also, or the organization could change how they had the meetings set up. Mm-hmm. They could ask for a report ahead of time from the individual. They could, instead of everybody meeting all the time in one group, they could have people pair up and then report back to the group. They could call on the individuals rather than mm-hmm. expecting them just to speak up. There are things on both sides that people can do. It's working with the organization to see both sides of the issue and what they can do because we know that talent loss is a big fear in organizations right now that you know the boomers are retiring and wanting to develop who else is coming up next if i am a female and i don't see any females at the top or maybe one percent or two percent then I might get discouraged and leave and start my own business or go somewhere where there's more representation. Or if I see all the prize assignments going to some other group, organizations are at risk for talent loss unless they can get this. And um, that's why the book subtitle is Preventing Costly Complaints, Conflict, and talent loss. And um, we know how much time leaders spend in handling complaints and conflict, too. You know, you raised a, several really good points that where some of the terminology gets a little blurred or the concepts, mm-hmm. it all paints one picture. I love the example of the women, you know, not speaking up, people mm-hmm. seeing their potential, but asking them to speak up. I see this a lot, particularly with women and also with men who come from another country. Yes. So for example, men who are from India, mm-hmm. they, you know, their belief is, well, if I have nothing of value to add, I'm not just going to pontificate. Yeah. Or if, if what I have to say is going to be in conflict with what my 
boss just said or the CEO just said, and they've got a strong perspective, I'm not going to speak up in a public venue and disgrace him right. or dishonor him. Mm-hmm. How do you distinguish between bias and cultural norms? That's a great question. I think they're tied together. They're definitely tied together because we take in bias based on what we not only see, but experience. They've, they've done some research, even with small children. So let's say I'm, I'm taking my two-year-old into the grocery store and I see someone that doesn't look like me, maybe is a different race or a different age or is in dirty clothing and I pull my child close, I walk more quickly, I don't make eye contact. The child is already picking up on that group of people is bad or I should be afraid of them. Mm, Just the energy, Mm -hmm. the shift in energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I like your example about both the company and the individual taking responsibility Mm -hmm. for breaking down some of these barriers. I really like the example that you used of meetings and different ways to introduce meetings because there's also communication style. Yes. I find that people who are more comfortable asking questions, and uh, I'll use myself as an example here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love asking questions. Yeah. But when I was in executive meetings, when I was an internal executive, I got the same feedback. Well, Cinder, you're not sharing, you're not talking. And Mm. I would say the same thing. Well, I know what I'm thinking. Why do I need to share it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If you want to know what I'm thinking, ask me a question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I had the same kind of barrier that I needed to overcome and learn what was of value for people. And it was a very painful experience for me. Mm. If a company says, here's a high potential female Mm -hmm. who is in a VP role, Mm -hmm. but we want you to help her with executive presence. What does executive presence mean? And is it related to some kind of bias that people have? Well, I think it'd be really important to get clear on that. So when you talk about, that would be what I would be asking as a coach, is when you talk about executive presence and you want me to work with this person on executive presence, what kind of results are you looking for? What are the expectations in terms of um, behavior change or perspective change? And then unpacking that can help us see is it a stereotype or a bias, you know, that we want everyone to do it this way, uh, which may be actually detrimental to the organization because we know when organizations listen to different perspectives and honor different perspectives, then they're, they're more profitable. That's one of the reasons why diversity works, diversity and inclusion, the, the proof is the more diversity and inclusion there is at the top of an organization, the board and the leadership team, the more profitable the organization is because not everyone is thinking the same or looking at things the same. They're contributing in different ways. So if the organization were wanting to kill that, that, that might be a concern, you know, and they, they may not even realize that's, that's what's happening. I can, I can think of working with, a male uh, on that was one of the things that was asked for was executive presence. He'd had a 360 
and his scores of himself, his self-assessment, was lower than his, his peers and his boss. That was part of what they wanted updating. And in, in talking and exploring further, he still kind of was hanging on to his view of himself from growing up and had some negative experiences that were affecting how much he was speaking up. <laughs> and that was holding him back in the organization. And so that was a big aha, and he, he wanted to update that and, and make some changes and, and has and has risen in the ranks. And the organization has now, you know, tapped into his, his full potential. That was a good investment for them. But it's, I think it's, it's looking at what does that mean? What, is, what does executive presence mean to you? And does that mean everybody is, is going to be just the same? That may not be, get you the results that you want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we all have a feeling when there is some opinion that doesn't quite match our yes. own self-perception. Sometimes it's very subtle and sometimes it's just outright. When I returned from Saudi Arabia and I was, you know, in my 30s by now and had a couple of kids and when people would ask, where have you been living the last six or seven years? And I'd say Saudi Arabia and they go, oh, you poor thing. It must have been terrible. <laughs> 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 so, you know, clearly they had some opinion. Yes. Was not my experience at all. Yeah. Good for um, you. So, yeah. So sometimes, I think sometimes it's the things that people say or how they act, like you said right. earlier. What recommendations do you have for someone when they're on the receiving end of bias, whether mm. it is uh, stated or more subtle? Mm. How would a person kind of acknowledge that and then give some feedback to the person? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. I, I do talk about a communication model in my book, but it's primarily for someone in the organization uh, pointing out bias, but not against them, you know, being more of an advocate for mm. others. And then also to bring the leadership team to their attention, there really is bias in this organization and we need to do something about it. But I would say you could probably use the, the same model is it's best, of course, always one-on-one. -on -one. So if, if someone you feel like is, is targeting you, not to call them out in front of the group, but say, I'd like to speak with you afterwards, it's the losing face thing again, right? Because yeah. if the person is a bully or a narcissist, especially, that's the huge thing for them. They don't want to lose face. They don't want to look bad in front of other people. And would the conversation would go something like, you know, when you said blah, 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 whatever it was, or I notice when you are putting the team together or giving the assignments, I'm not on the list. And um, I'm wondering if that has to do with one of my cultural identities, that I'm a, a woman or a boomer or whatever the case may be, a native, non-native speaker, etc., etc. And when you exclude me and other people like me, 
from key assignments, from leadership, you know, the research is that that's harmful for the organization. Here's the statistics. So what, what could we do moving forward that might make the organization even, and your team even more profitable and effective that would include me or that would reduce these remarks? So kind of tying it to the, the bottom line business mm -hmm, seems to be effective. The, here's, here's what I see notice is going on, and here's the results that are not good for the organization. How could we change that? How could it be different to make you more successful as the team leader or whatever their position is and also the organization? Boy, that takes a lot of courage. Yes, it does. It does. I, th I would say also developing advocates, people who get it, who will stand up for you and say, you know, I think Cinder should get that assignment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is a really good point. It sounds like, too, it's with a lot of patience and careful thinking about how you present this feedback. Yes. In a really calm, <laughs> respectful way, mm -hmm. which yeah. is difficult because you're triggering me in some way by right. excluding me or mm -hmm. sitting across the room when I go to sit next to you. You know, we see yes. all kinds of things that happen. Yeah, it might be good to rehearse it with your coach first, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, several times. Maybe try it on someone who's, uh, who you already know and respect first. Do a little role playing first. That's right. That's really good. And I'm thinking of a few examples where that didn't happen because it can sure backfire. Yeah, it can work. And yeah, that encouragement to, to hang in there. Yeah, definitely. That that just reminds me of talking to Beverly Wright, who uh, started out as a young person right out of college with IBM. And she mm -hmm. thought, well, maybe I'll stay five years, I'll have a child, and then I'll move on to something. And she was there 38 years. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed her a couple sessions ago. Very interesting how at one point, she had this insight that oh, I'm not here for a job. I can actually take ownership of my career mm -hmm. and I can navigate my career within this large organization that has so much opportunity Isn't just waiting right? to be had. Yeah, that was a huge shift for her. Yeah, It was huge. Mm -hmm. Since your book came out, how mm -hmm. has it been received? Well, people are buying it, which is great. <laughs> and I am getting feedback, especially from other coaches, that they're, they're using it in organizations. And I've, I've also partnered with the local SHRM chapter, Society for Human Resource Management, and done some programs with, with them, moderated a panel and, and uh, helped with another program. So it's written really for leaders, HR, and I wasn't even thinking that much about coaches, but I'm delighted that they're able to use some of the exercises and, and concepts, which also include in terms of the potential is where am I going after talent? Is mm. it the same place over and over again? And, and what could you do to diversify that? So mm. you, you have different results and, and the idea about um, 
you know, blind resumes, taking off names and other cultural identifiers. The former prime minister in the UK uh, for universities um, told them that they needed to take off the names of the schools that people had attended because in the UK, that's a huge Mm. ranking, what school you went to that shows your social rank. And that was then excluding a lot of people. Wow. So I went to Cambridge and now they're taking Cambridge off your resume. Yeah. (laughs) That is so interesting. I didn't know that. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think, as you know, Cinder, having the support at the top, you know, that that was the prime minister. If we have um, the top level leadership recognizing bias is an issue, we all have it, and we don't want it to sabotage the success of our organization. So what are some things that we could do and how do, we, how do we want to manage it? And how do we want to do things differently within the organization? That really makes a huge difference. Mm. You know, the, the kind of exercises that I like to do are more story-based. And mm. I, you know, will collect ahead of time stories about when you've noticed or experienced bias against you Mm -hmm. Mm. and then then those can be either displayed on the wall and people can walk around and read them and or you can trade you know have them on on paper and then at a table they'd be shuffled around and i might read yours out loud and someone across the room might read mine out loud. And it's, so it's, empath- it's awareness and empathy building. This is a, a technique that can be used to point out when leadership is saying, no, that we don't have a problem with that. That you know, doesn't exist in our organization. And the, the people under them are saying, yes, it does. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's it's one way to to bring it into awareness, to bring it out in the open. Mm-hmm. And then, I like that example. Yeah, and then once it's identified, then and you know where it's showing up, then you can um, start to to make some changes. Mm-hmm. Mm. So in that way, you're treating everyone fairly because you're saying, okay, we all have bias. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I co-present sometimes with an African-American colleague. And uh, she said at the front of the room, and Marilyn's called me out on my bias before. And I said, I have. (laughs) I forgot that or didn't remember that. And she said, yes, you have. (laughs) So what interesting stories you've been collecting since you published this book. I I see a second book coming out with just the, the stories, that, <laughs> yeah. the questions people ask you. How do I deal with this? Mm-hmm. What has been the biggest challenge for you during this process of writing the book and publishing it? Hmm. Just writing it. Cinder, you've done this before, <laughs> right? It's like birthing a baby. You know, you've got to get it out. <laughs> <laughs> it can be challenging to get it out. Like you said, I was really committed. It was like a spiritual calling. Now is the time and you've got to write this book. 
and I could see what was being done wasn't enough. And uh, yet to actually sit down, devote the time, go through it, and then rewrite it and rewrite it takes a lot. It yeah. really does. And now that it's been out, have you been traveling and presenting on the book? I did present at the Asia Pacific Alliance of Coaches, but not on bias. I was actually told that they knew bias existed in that region of the world, but it's that saving face thing it was kind of shameful to acknowledge and talk about it. Um, that was just last summer, but in the meantime, since then, I have uh, spoken with several ICF chapters in that region, done presentations on the topic. So it's it's opening up. People are starting to everywhere take a look at it, and that's the the fun thing is that we can meet virtually, like you and I are right mm-hmm. now. So I I have been able to present internationally without leaving (laughs) my office. (laughs) That is very nice. Yeah. So what's one thing you know now that you wish you knew before you started this venture? It's a great question. I have to think about that for a minute. Well, if I said how hard it was, then I wouldn't have done it maybe, you know, and that would have been a regret. So I'm not going to say that. So just learning about the publishing process that I could have done more research on that ahead of time, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm. So will it be easier the second time around? <laughs> I have been invited to write a couple of other books um, and one with this colleague I've you know, been presenting with specifically with a specific niche that mm-hmm. she's involved in. So we'll see. What is something that, you know, some advice that you would give a leader, whether it's a president or a manager, um, some piece of advice you would give them? Hmm. About bias? About bringing, unleashing the potential in their workforce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it kind of goes back to one of the come from places we have as coaches center is seeing each person as creative and resourceful. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that involves recognizing and taking off some of the blinders. I, you know, I have a, an HR colleague, their leadership team was all white males. And then he started this hiring initiative with Hispanic Latina women and it, with great results, great organizational results. The leadership team was really happy, but they never would have thought about placing an ad in a bilingual newspaper or, you know, changing their recruiting or who they were targeting and seeing as having potential. Nice. There's been a lot of discussion about that in the Bay Area, about how little diversity there is in some of the tech companies. Yes. And I know Google's had this huge initiative and they've made their their data, their videos public for, for people to, to access. They have the accountability in place. That, that's another piece. And that impact mm-hmm. model is the A for accountability um, that they can actually have given permission to, to say to each other, hey, 
you know, that sounds biased or that looks biased. Let's, you know, let's take a, a second look here. Still, I think they fell backwards this last year in terms of research, in terms of diversity. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's the model that you have. Maybe you could leave us with that. Is that it's impact? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the I is for identifying. And again, there's multiple ways of doing that. The M is for managing bias, not just saying, okay, we know it's there. Here's some, here's some ways we can handle it. The P is unleashing potential, um, seeing everyone as, as having potential and then, you know, developing that for giving everyone the opportunity, not just a certain group. And the A is for awareness and accountability. The C is the communication model. And then the T is taking stock. Let's, you know, we did the scorecard at the beginning. We've gone through these steps, five steps. Where are we now? And let's celebrate successes and look at where else Mm -hmm. we could make some changes for even greater success. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, the book is Breaking Free from Bias, and it's Marilyn O'Hearn, and I will put a link to your book and also your bio in the show notes. And Great. I really appreciate you joining, joining us today and sharing your research and your proposed solutions on bias. Thank you. Thanks. It was delightful to talk with you, Cinder. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm Cinder Niemela, and you've been listening to the Inspired Wisdom Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope these conversations illuminate your path to your highest potential. For show notes and links to resources mentioned during today's episode, please go to inspiredwisdom.us. You can also follow Inspired Wisdom on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, design a fulfilling and prosperous life that engages your talents and passions.